Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living many years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I have learned and to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained. When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd. And no one heard you, no one heard you speak your mind. They lost the This show is brought to you by The Belonging Blueprint. A strong sense of belonging is imperative to cultivating a life of joy, fulfillment, and purpose. With a strong sense of belonging, you will have the confidence it takes to do and create your life on your terms. It's time for you to break free from your self-limiting thoughts, your insecure thought patterns, and the social conditioning that keeps you from living your most authentic life. The Belonging Blueprint is a self-development course that has been designed to help you create the deepest sense of belonging within yourself. Guided along the way by myself, Ross Lepola, you will grow to a place that leaves you empowered to experience life on your terms. You can join me and others in a private community that will support you on your journey of personal growth and development. To get more information and to enroll, you can click the link in the show notes. You belong here. Jessica, my sister, thank you for joining me today in Project Unchained podcast. How are you? Good. You're welcome. It's it's a pleasure to to do a podcast with you. I feel honored. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Why don't we orientate a little bit and tell everybody a, a bit about yourself, who you are, what do you do? Um. Well, I'm Jessica, I'm your little sister. Nope, I'm, I lied. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm your bigger little sister. <laughs> right. Um, I am an alcohol and drug counselor uh, with um, a very upcoming company. Um, I think they've been running for about five years now, Partners in Recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple offices on the range and some in the cities. Um, 42 years old. I have two kids. Um, Danny's almost nine, 20 and unique is 13 tomorrow. Yeah. 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 42. And I'm only 37 for the record. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Forever 39 when you get there. <laughs> so obviously, uh, you're a drug and rehab counselor and it's been quite a long road to get to that point. And that's a lot of what we really wanted to dive into today. So let's just dive right in. All right. But, uh, <laughs> What what brought you to get to that point? Why did you want to become a drug and rehab counselor? Um, well, I have about a little over nine years of recovery myself. Um, I'm a recovering addict. Um, you know, I, at first it was just the whole 
moving out of the house with that freedom, you do whatever I wanted to try different things, experiment different things. Um, you know, the whole, the whole party scene, the raves and, you know, things like that. Um, and I guess for that part, it was okay. Um, you know, I could go to a party, I could go to a bar and not have to worry about needing anything the next day to function. Um, and then through, I had a car accident, um, and the doctor prescribed painkillers, mm-hmm. you know, for my shoulder. Um, and I, that's where I ended up getting hooked on it. And that was probably towards the end of 1999. All right. Um, you know, so just kind of, so being in recovery and, you know, um, it, it opened my eyes to a whole lot. Um, and that's kind of the starting point to where it led up to me being, you know, an alcohol and drug counselor now. Um, after a couple months of being prescribed the painkillers, um, the doctor cut me off. You don't need them anymore, you know, whatever. And so then I went and bought some off the streets, um, for my neighbors, for my friends, from whoever, whoever Mm -hmm. had them. Um, you know, so it was a couple years of the painkillers and, you know, pretty soon I needed them to get up in the morning. Right. So it started out just, uh, experimenting with, with drugs and alcohol, partying, party scene after you moved out. Yeah. Fairly, fairly common exposure, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Cause you know, I mean, and it's, it's not like, it's not in the country where we're secluded from the big city, from the big time drugs. It's, it's everywhere. It's just how much you seek it out or how much it's brought out into the open, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so growing up in cotton, I wasn't exposed to it, you know, besides the, the alcohol and maybe some marijuana here and there right. and the cigarettes. Um, but that wasn't my thing that sports were my thing, you know? So when I moved out and got to Duluth and the bigger cities and that's when all the partying started and, you know, it was, I guess, normal back then. Right. Right. And so you were partying and then you got into a car accident and that exposed you to painkillers. What kind of painkillers? Um, I believe she had me on lower tabs so opiates yeah um you know the lower tabs the percocets um you know and from there a couple years later it went to um dilatin pills morphine pills um the opanas oxycontin mm-hmm. um you know more of like the the opiate category right so yeah do you remember Um, like in those moments when like you were using like what the, the draw and appeal was for you at that time? Um, once I started getting more addicted to the painkillers, um, at first I, I think the feeling was more just, it relaxed me. It calmed me down. I wasn't so nervous, so anxious. Um, and it gave me energy, you know, I was able to get things done. I was able to 
take care of the kids, go to school, um, take care of the house, go to work. Um, but I think what really got me was um, that high feeling, feeling high. Um, I felt invincible. Right. It, you know, I, I liked getting high. But it escalated from there. It did. Um, there was a few years with, with the pain pills. Um, and then it went from the pain pills into, um, you know, doing more cocaine. Um, doing, I tried methamphetamines a couple times. Um, and then... I went back to the Opanas because it was the only thing that could give me that, that high that I was searching for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a while it, it took care of that, that high feeling, that fix that I needed. It gave me the energy. Um, but at that time it was very costly. Right. Um, you know, it wasn't your normal $5 for a lower tab. It was 60, 70 bucks for one pill. Um, so that's when I decided to try heroin for the first time. Um, it was cheaper. You got more. The high was so intense it's hard to describe for me. Um, you know, I mean, I was always that, that one person who said, Oh no, I'm, I'm not as bad as this person. I'm not doing heroin. I'm never going to do heroin. Never. And it turned into, I was doing heroin. I was hooked the first time. Um, I did that for about four years. Um, you know, it was so much more easily accessible. It was everywhere. Um, so that's, and that led me into even more of a downward spiral. Spiral. You know, I was living in the cities in St. Paul at the time, and I packed what I could fit into my little car, grabbed my girls, and we went back to Duluth. Um, I was staying with a friend and, you know, I had given Dayani to her dad because I couldn't take care of her. I still had Unique at the time. Um, I ended up letting Unique go and stay with her father because I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't take care of them and get the high and the fix that I wanted or needed. So they went and lived with their parent. their fathers for a couple years. Um, and from there, you, you know, things just got worse. Bouncing in and out from shelters, homeless shelters, um, domestic abuse shelters. The relationships I was getting into were not healthy at all on either my part or their part. Um, you know, we were both toxic for one another. Yeah, I suppose it's hard to believe that there's there could be a healthy relationship with another person when there isn't a healthy relationship with self in that moment. Yeah. Um, 
So you continue to use heroin. You had, in in a sense, created more space and freedom for yourself to chase that high. Um, what what started kind of happening next? Um, well, besides bouncing in and out of the shelters, um, you know, when my time was up at the shelters, I would go stay with with friends, or so I thought they were friends at the time. Um, there was one that was actually a friend that I, I still do keep in contact with. Um, we are still friends. We call each other and, you know, she was actually there for me. Um, the other friend that I had moved in with, um, you know, I've tried to make amends with her, um, you know, but when I did reach out, it was more, I wouldn't say harmful than anything, but I think it was hurtful, um, you know, because I believe that she had kind of put me in the past, you know, and didn't want nothing to be brought up. I tried to, you know, talk to her. I, I could only talk to her through text messages. When I reached out to her, I was actually in the halfway house at that time. Um, I haven't tried since, and it's been... A little over nine years since I've tried. Um, I see her on Facebook every once in a while. You know, but I think that's just one relationship, one friendship that's just going to have to, unfortunately, be how it is. You know? Um, So then, the shelters, friend's house, um, I ended up moving in with Dayani and her dad um, the year before I went to treatment, I believe it was, 2011, I think. Um, so Dayani seen the last year of my addiction, I feel when it was probably at its worst. Um, I'm not going to compare all the years that I was in active addiction because honestly it was all bad. Um, but 2011 I moved in with her and her dad. And before I did that, I caught, I had, um, at that time it was a rule 25 chemical assessment done down on Lake Superior somewhere. I don't remember where, um, but they recommended treatment and I fought it. I'm, I'm not going to treatment. There is no way you are going to take, at that time, my drug of choice, my best friend, my comfort zone, my safety net away from me. There's no way. Um, so they recommended Lake Place up in Beauvais. And a couple months after, I finally called, put myself on the waiting list. Um, and they, you know, it was just a waiting game from there. Um, when they finally called May of 2012, um, I think it was like May 3rd or 4th when they called, they said they could come pick me up the next day. I said, no, absolutely not. My daughter's birthday is coming up. I'm going to be here for that. You can come get me the next day on May 8th. Um... And I thought, well, it's not that bad. 
maybe I can just put treatment off till later, you know, way after Deanny's birthday. Um, well, me thinking the way I was thinking at the time, you know, hey, I'm going to treatment. Let's go out with a bang. Let's let's party. Let's do this. You know, yeah, her birthday's coming up, but let's get that last high in. All right. Well, me thinking that and waiting and trying to think that I could control it for that weekend and that I wouldn't need it. And, you know, I ended up overdosing the night of her birthday um, on her front lawn. Me and my boyfriend at the time, we were leaving and we were just going to go to the store. It was a block away. Um, I remember walking out of the house going down down the stairs on the porch, seeing the fence. And I don't remember what happened after that. Um, I woke up to the paramedic, obviously, um, in my face, asking me if I'm okay, if I'm okay, if I'm okay. Um, I said, yeah. And then I passed out again. Um, I got to the hospital to wake up enough and I looked over and I seen my boyfriend at the time and Diani's father sitting there and I was like oh, what's going on why are we all in the hospital why are you two sitting together um the doctor came in and he said you know Jess you had an overdose um there's PCP in your system or angel dust I don't know where that came from I don't know if the heroin that I had used that day was mixed with it. Um, I had taken so many different things that day. I had taken heroin. I had taken tramadol. I had taken other painkillers. You know, I had drank a little bit of alcohol. I had smoked a little bit of weed. So I don't know where the angel dust came from. Um, they told me at that time they were going to keep me. They were going to admit me in the hospital. They said I needed help. They weren't wrong. I did. Um, and I told them, no, I'm not staying. I'm leaving. Treatment is coming to pick me up at six in the morning. And that was only five hours away. So they kept me in the hospital until 4 o'clock that morning, let me go back to the house to get my clothes ready. Treatment came at 6 to pick me up. Um, knowing that I overdosed, you know, one, not only on my daughter's birthday, on her front lawn, um, when I asked her dad if she's seen he said, yeah, she's seen everything. She's seen me go down. She's seen the paramedics come. She's seen them doing CPR. Um, and I, I've held on to that. And that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me in my recovery, is knowing where I came from and what could have happened. Yeah, that's (laughs) 
and knowing me and Deani are a lot alike and if I'm still constantly holding on to that image and replaying it in my mind to keep me going as a motivator I know she holds things in too and I haven't even I've never asked her about it if she still remembers that night if she holds on to it or how she holds on to it if she uses it as a positive or if she uses it as a negative it's traumatic you know, I mean, there's so many times where I wanted to ask her how she holds on to it, and I just cannot. It's hard for me to find the right ways to ask her. You know, um, both my girls know I'm in recovery. They know I'm an addict in recovery. They know when I have bad days, you know, I, I will tell them, hey, <laughs> Uh, Mom's struggling today. I, I need a little extra me time. You know, or or don't leave. Don't leave me. You know, they're my... I'm not a very big religious person. I'm more spiritual. Um, I do have a higher power. And, you know, anything I feel can be anybody's higher power. My girls are mine. Some say it could be a little bit of codependency. And I've recently realized that maybe it is, but I feel maybe more in a healthier way, codependency in a healthier way. You know, we're there for each other. We support each other regardless of what it is. So. That's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. Um, you know, and then when I was using, I, I got into trouble. You know, I got the driving after a vacation, no proof of insurance. I spent the money on drugs. I didn't feel it was necessary to put car insurance on to get my license. I could do it without it. Um... <laughs> I got theft charges, uh, check forgery charges. Um, somehow to this day, I, I don't know how I managed to do it. I was able to get um, a couple of assault charges dropped off my record. Bar fights. You know, you're, you're using and you're not thinking clearly and somebody says the wrong thing or looks at you the wrong way and like a light switch. The anger set in, um, you know, so I, I did things, I, um, said a lot of hurtful things to, to my family, to my friends, um, did a lot of hurtful, hurtful, mean and ugly things, um, they still bother me but it helps that there's also been acceptance um acceptance on my part 
owning my responsibility, my part in things, the words and things that I've said and done, um, you know, and then acceptance on my friends and family on their part too, you know, and it's, and even if there wasn't acceptance on friends and family part, that's their choice. I can only do for me. I can't force somebody to accept the fact that I was in active use and stole $200. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely tough. I remember there was lots of times for me, I remember those years there, you weren't, uh, you were alive, but you weren't alive. You weren't present. Right. Um, and yeah, I remember you weren't operating or acting like, like the sister that I knew and it was tough and I didn't like, I I didn't ever understand it. I didn't know, like, in the moment that you were on such substances. Right. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I just thought you were a bitch. Right. And I was like, well, fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I think when I realized that what happened, what was going on, it was easier for me to forgive you. You know, I, I honestly believe that it's easier to forgive somebody if they're went down a substance abuse, abuse path than if they're just being a shitty person. Right. Um, so it was good. It was, it was, I was grateful when you went through rehab. So let's go in on that a little bit. What was, you know, we, we covered a lot of the. <laughs> A lot of the dark days, a lot of the bad times, and rehab can be the signal, the start of the transformation. It was. Um, I I went to treatment in Lake Place um, May eighth, two thousand twelve. You know, and honestly, I probably should have went to detox first. Um, I I was still extremely high. Um, I woke up halfway through the ride realizing I was in the middle of nowhere. I thought in the woods, <laughs> I didn't know where I was. Um, you know, and he just kept going further and further and further into the woods. And I'm like, where are you taking me? I don't want to go anymore. Um, you know, so I started getting irritated and antsy. Um, we got to the main lodge, um, you know, to do the intake and the check-in, um, I didn't want to be there. I told my counselor, Joy, at that time, I don't want to be here. I, I don't want to be here. She asked if I, the last time I used, I lied. Um, I didn't tell her that I had the overdose the night before, that I was still high. I probably should have, but I didn't. I thought maybe it would get me out the door faster to go home, wherever home might have been at that time. Um, she introduced me to the girls at that time, and then we hopped in this van and drove further into the woods. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I'm in a van with, you know, I think at the time there was 
maybe 11 to 14 other women. Um, I didn't like it. It was just me and a bunch of women, a bunch of people that use drugs. I, my anxiety level was sky high. I was ready to fight at the drop of a dime. Um, you know, and with Lake Place, if you've never been there, they have, at this time, they had the main lodge and then about maybe 15 miles away, it was maybe about a 20 minute, 30 minute drive away from the main lodge. They had a women's house. So it wasn't a co-ed campus at the time. Um, so we got to the women's house and doing my intake there with the house mom, um, you know, and it was, it's not looking back now. It was beautiful. The woman's house, the area was beautiful. The main lodge is beautiful. Um, but the first three weeks of it anyway, I fought it. I kept trying to think of ways I could run where I would go. I don't know. Cause I was lost. <laughs> um, there was woods surrounding me. I'm not a woods person. I'm not country anymore. I like the city. I like the street lights. <laughs> well, let's be honest here for a moment too. Even when you were in the country, you still weren't very country. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, and now that I'm been away from home longer, I, I, I like coming home on the weekends. It's my getaway, you know, or when I can make it. But if I go outside for a cigarette and it's even a little bit dark, the yard light, the porch light, the flashlight on my phone, everything comes on. <laughs> um, you know, so trying to figure out where I was going to run to in Bovee, being in the woods, that scared me too. And I think that's kind of a reason why I stayed, um, which forced me to accept where I was in my life, forced me to take a look, you know, at the addiction, you know, everything that comes with it, the people I've hurt, my kids, what I needed to do to fix myself. Um, and when I started, they told me it was a 28 day program. I'm like 28 days. Really? That's all you're going to give me is 28 days to fix myself. I've been addicted to drugs for 10, 11 years and 28 days is going to fix it. 28 days didn't fix it because there was a week and a half left about when I finally accepted it. Um, thankfully with my insurance and treatment, I was able to put in some extensions and get granted an extra 30 days another three, four times. So I was at treatment for about four, four or five months. Right. Um, you know, and when I did finally accept who I was, what I had done, where I came from, where I wanted to go, it, it was crazy. <laughs> um, it was crazy. It was amazing. It was overwhelming. It was scary. You know, I can still remember being at the main lodge and taking a break from group and sitting down on the dock because there was a lake. Mm -hmm. there too um and this overwhelming rush just came over me you know it was like wow okay i really need to do this i really need to 
stop using drugs. I need to be sober. I need to fix what I've broken in my life, fix the relationships that I've hurt or broken, you know, get my relationship back with my kids. Um, they said that that was, it was a spiritual awakening, that that's what they would consider a spiritual awakening. Um, and I've, I fully agree to this day. I can still not describe the feelings that I felt besides the normal, overwhelming, scary, excited feeling. And since that day, I've been working on my recovery every day. You know, um, they had family day at treatment. Um, I believe you were in North Dakota then, maybe? Um, mm, no. no, I was in Alaska at that time. Alaska, then, okay. Because I moved to Alaska in 2007. Yeah, yep. Okay. Um, so mom and dad came up for that. Um, they met me at the women's house. We sat outside and I told them an awful lot. You know, they had questions. They had things that they didn't know. Um, you know, and I know it, it killed them. It, it, it hurt them. You could see it in dad's eyes, you know, um, you could, you could just see the hurt, but I think at the same time, there was a sense of relief. I know there was on my part to tell them and be honest with them, full blown honest that I was using drugs, even though they knew, um, so the relief of being honest, it, it was good. You know, the relief of them knowing that I was there to get help and that I knew what my problem was and what I was doing to fix it. You could see the relief. Um, then we went to the main lodge and we had group family therapy. Uh, we had one-on-one -on -one with my counselor. You know, and I, I had told them before, you know, my counselor's not somebody to play with. <laughs> She's, when I first met her, I, I could not stand the woman. Um, but she is one of the most amazing women I have met in my life. You know, she was also in recovery, so she knew. Um... You know, she passed away a couple years ago. I believe she had cancer. Um, you know, but she was tough. She, she was a tough counselor. She was a tough woman. She's one of the most amazing women I've ever met. You know, and then at the time there was an intern there with her. Um, and she's a counselor in another company on the range. She's another one of the most amazing women I've met. You know, um... So I graduated treatment at Lake Place about four, four or five months later. Um, I finally told the house mom and my counselor, I I'm ready for this next step. <laughs> I'm ready. You know, what do I do? Where do I go? I have no place to go. I don't know what to do. Um, so we were going to do a halfway house in Duluth. And I was able to... I would have been able to bring the kids there with me on the weekend. That didn't work out. 
Um, I was out of extensions with the insurance, with treatment. Um, so that's when they call it 13 stepping. That's when I got into the relationship, a treatment. Um, and he was in a halfway house in Thief River. He graduated treatment, went to halfway house in Thief River. There, and they had co-ed facility. So I went there. Continued working on my relationship with him and me. Continued working on myself. I was there for... I got there in August. Or no, September. September 2012. And I stayed there until February 2013. Um, I mean, the halfway house was... It was good. We had our groups and, you know, had, had space. We could get... Go to work if we wanted to. Um, we could go around town. There was, um, you know, a curfew unless you had work late. Um, but I never got a job when I was there. I was dealing with underlining medical issues. Endometriosis. Had to have surgery when I was there. Um, went back with no pain pills. No nothing. Except ibuprofen and Tylenol. Um... You know, so it was, it was another good experience there, you know, some of the staff was better than others, but I'm sure they had their reasons and, you know, it all worked out. We all ended up getting along, you know, so. Uh, so if you, if you go to treatment, you know, I, I, I would always and you're able to with insurance, you know, it, there's so, there could be more stipulations besides the insurance or, you know, openings. Um, but I would recommend going to a halfway house. Um, you know, it was about a year, year in treatment for me. Yeah. Um, thinking about one of the things that you said that I want, that, that hit me a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the moment when you were, had family day. Okay. Um, obviously, that was pretty emotional, especially if you could see it hit Dad, because it doesn't <laughs> takes a bit for Dad to show some emotion. Yeah. Um, what uh, What was that like to to be more transparent and open and honest with Mom and Dad? Um. It, it took me a little bit. It was kind of, you know, sitting there, that awkward silence. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Okay. You know, I, I kept replaying in my mind the day before how I was going to start the conversation, what I was going to do, if I was going to say anything, you know, and then just telling them, hey, you're going to hear some things that you haven't heard. Um, I, I'm, I'm addicted to painkillers. I've done this. I've done that. Um, I was using heroin. Um, you know, ad admitting to all of that and then admitting to the things that went along with it, my actions, um, and watching their faces go blank 
from blank to angry to hurt and upset to relief to, you know, just you could see the emotions on their face. It was hard. Um, I, I don't really know how to describe it besides it was hard, it was awkward, and uncomfortable for a little bit. Um, and I think seeing their reaction convinced me even more, motivated me even more to this is where I need to be. Regardless if I have a bad day and want to leave or if I tried to fight it again, I need to stick with it. You know, I, I need to do this for them as well as myself. So I'm, you know, it was, it was, it was tough. You know, I mean, it, we've all lied to our parents. I mean, we were kids at one point in time. We've told little white lies. We've told big lies, you know, but that was the biggest lie I think I had ever told them for so long and tried to hide it and keep up with it for so long. Um, and I guess that's where that sense of relief came from after finally being honest with them. Yeah. Imagine probably felt like you got a big weight off your back. It did. It did. You know, um, and then when we went to, you know, the lodge to do the family therapy, um, I honestly wasn't sure how dad would handle it, but he, he did really good. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not a social person to begin with. No. Um, never really has been, but he did really good. And I was more concerned how he would handle it socially than any other way. Um, you know, he, he asked questions. Mom asked questions. They listened. Um, you know, and after when we got to the lodge and after all that, we had dinner and it was good. It, I was more comfortable. I could see that they were maybe a little more comfortable, um, a little more at ease. But it was it was a rough start to the day. But I think they handled it pretty good after a while. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I think I can kind of relate. Obviously, it's not even remotely close to the same thing, but just thinking about the weight that I felt come off my shoulders when I finally told mom and dad about me being suicidal as a kid right. before going to do this podcast and the feeling of relief to finally be honest with it. And so I can only imagine that it was a similar, similar experience for you, but probably a lot, a lot heavier. Well, and I think it's, I mean, two completely different situations, you know, 
feelings, emotions, everything. I think the the feeling of relief that we both felt finally being able to be honest about our situations. I feel maybe the relief is a lot more similar than maybe we even see right now. Um, you know, because we both needed to to be honest, to let it go, to, to tell them what was going on, to get that relief so we could move forward, you know, right. um, deal, deal with, with the situation, heal from it, move forward, share our stories, help others. You know, I think it's a lot more similar than we both realize, you know, the relief feeling part of it anyway. Yeah. Right. You know, not the situations, but the relief feeling. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I know that's been helpful for you and I in our relationship that I definitely, I want to get to that in, in a couple of minutes here <laughs> when, when we get there. Um, but yeah, I, I remember, I, I think, and I wish that I, I could have been at family day as we're talking about this, cause I remember the first so long for so many years, I carried so much anger and resentment towards you. Um, often because I felt like, how could you do this? Mom and dad worked so hard to give us what we were given. Granted, you know, like we were fairly poor growing up, but you know, they, they did what they could. Um, and, I was always so mad, like, God, how could she do this to them? What the fuck? So it, it's, uh, I suppose good for me to hear that at family day, you're talking about like that fueled you to move forward in a, in a better light mm -hmm. to see that from, for once Yeah, that you had been missing. Um, <clears throat> From my understanding of like drug use and substance abuse and substance use in general, like there's, there seems to be a common theme that people are trying to escape something, run away from something, not deal with something, suppress something, things along those lines. Mm -hmm. Is that true for you? It is. Um, you know, like I said, at first it was just experimental. Um, and then needing it to function. And then it was, it, it eventually led to coping with anxiety, um, coping with depression. I was depressed because I was in the situation I was in, you know, I was using drugs. I wasn't paying my bills. I wasn't taking care of my responsibilities. Um, I was hurting people. So it turned into depression. Um, you know, I was hanging, I had all my, the people I was hanging out, they were all using, um, coping, using to cope with family problems. Um, using cause it made it easier to talk to people using to relax. Um, you know, all those feelings and everything that let's say somebody who's, who doesn't turn to substance use or alcohol to cope with their feelings. They can talk about them normally. Um, I used and I stuffed it down. 
I didn't talk about them. Um, so I, I was, you know, that's one of my reasons for using. I didn't want to deal with the feelings. I didn't want to deal with life on life's terms. Um, you know, I mean, as I had a long case of the fuck it. I right. want to deal with it. All right. I I asked that too because I recall <laughs> a conversation that you and I had sometime after your rehab and therapy. Um, it wasn't like for this podcast, but it was definitely because it was quite a few years before this was even in a thought. Like I was still living in Alaska at the time. It was shortly after your therapy. Um, and I, I don't recall why we ended up having the conversation, but we ended up having the conversation and, and that's where we ended up talking a lot about, uh, being bullied and being tormented and a lot of those things that we struggled with as, as kids. And, um, it was finally like at that point for me that I was able to forgive you because I, I had connected with realizing that you were dealing with your own shit. Mm-hmm. How much, of, like before that, before just experimenting and partying plays into that, do you realize now, do you connect with? While we were growing up. Yeah. Mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think maybe, about it. Maybe, I remember maybe quite a bit because I, growing up, I mean, like you said, I growing up, it, it was fine. You know, here at home, things were fine. You know, mom, mom and dad did bust their butts to get us what we needed. You know, things that we might have wanted. You know, it home was a good childhood, I thought. Um, school, for the most part, I think... I mean, for the most part, I feel I got along with everybody. Um, I don't feel I was in any of the so-called cliques in high school. Um, but I know that I felt that I did struggle to kind of fit in, I guess, more with the popular crowd. Um, my idea of fitting in at that time was if somebody told me a secret, I would tell them, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody. And there, there was quite a few times where I gossiped told people things I probably shouldn't have broken people's trusts, you know? So maybe that part could have played into it. Wanting to fit in with other people while I was experimenting, you know, like, right. Oh, they're going to, they're going to go to the bar tonight and this is what they're going to do. So I want to go with them and fit in. So I'm going to get drunk tonight with them or these people are going to go to the raves. I'm going to go do ecstasy with them. Right. You know, so it it probably could have had very much part of leading up to where I got to, wanting to fit in. Yeah, yeah, because I, I mean, I, there's some things that I recall that I remember your struggles with some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't remember the very specific details of it, but I I recall some of the general struggles with with that and. Um, when, 
I finally started my own healing journey and started to connect with some of that, that I hadn't really looked at and addressed and felt and allowed myself to, to heal from. Um, I, I realized that there are similarities yeah. in, in the things that we experienced. Um, and to be honest, I, I think about it like now, like that plays a lot into Vanessa and I's, uh, choice to move forward with homeschooling with Rosalie's I, I, I don't want public school. Right. I, I have an opportunity. We have an opportunity with the way we live life and our work to do something different. So we want to, we want to try it a different way. Right. <laughs> I know that that's, it's not always an opportunity or an option for everybody. And, and so I, I just, it's not that public school is wrong or necessarily bad. It's just something that we both, uh, desire to avoid. Right. So you went through the parties, you went through the substance abuse and the dark days, you went through rehab and therapy that allowed you to address some of your demons that were inside you and uh, stop running from them and face them and, and get better and get sober. And, um, and now you're moving forward with helping others in that same situation. Yep. What has it been like for you now as you're, you're getting into that phase and that time in your life where you can, <coughs> you can give back. It's amazing. Um, you know, I, I started school at Masabi three years ago. Um, I got my human services certificate, addiction study certificate, um, my peer support recovery certificate. I still have to take the class, the exam yet. Um, but to go through school and have the instructors that I have I mean, they're amazing. They were absolutely amazing. And then to be able to do the internship at Partners in Recovery and meet the people that I've met through Partners, um, it's amazing. And then to finally feel that, to, to get the news that you passed your application and you're, you're now an alcohol and drug counselor, with your temporary permit until I finish UWS and can get my license to be an alcohol and drug counselor. Um, it's been great. I mean, meeting the people, helping people. It's a whole different feeling. Um, sometimes it can be overwhelming and frustrating and you just want to look at them and be like, Hey, come on. You know, you know what to do. Do it. Knock it off. Um, and then there's days where I struggle with myself because I feel that I might not be helping them enough. Maybe I'm not doing enough for them. But I am. Um, you know, they... Helping others and sharing bits and pieces of my story... Um, it's, it's been great. 
I can imagine that that in and of itself really helps you heal on a deeper level as well. It does. Um, it does, you know, and I have coworkers that will say this too. Um, when I'm doing groups or one-on-ones, uh, you know, talk, speaking with my clients, the groups that I do and the one-on-ones, not only are they helping the clients, but they're helping me. And there's days where it helps me way more, you know, than anything. Um, I mean, we're, we're all in recovery and, you know, but it's, it's an indescribable feeling. Like I can, I can sit here and say it's, it's amazing. It's great. I love it. And I do, but to really dig down and find the right words to describe it, I can't, you know, I, I finally have found a career, I guess, if you want to label it that, where I'm excited to get up and go to work in the morning. Yeah. You know, and, but I don't, it's a career, it's a job, I get paid for it, but I don't look at it like that. You know, it's helping others, helping those that are still struggling with their addiction, um, helping them find the coping tools, coping mechanisms, skills, to continue on in their recovery, to take their, to take it with, with them when they graduate, you know, graduating my first client was huge. You know, it, it was huge there. I, I had some tears when I, when I graduated my client. I can, I can imagine, you know, I can believe that for sure. Yeah. And, and I've seen them out and, and they're still sober. They're still working on them, and they've picked up some extra things along the way since they graduated. You know, so it's it's huge for them. It's huge for me to see them still going and accomplishing things that they wanted to accomplish while they were in treatment. And they might not have had the chance or the opportunity or, you know, something wasn't right at that time. Knowing they accomplished it and seeing them the way they are is huge. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I can only imagine. Um obviously powerlifting coaching isn't quite the same thing on that level. Um but for similar reasons that's what gets me excited to to wake up and go to work compared to when I was engineering. You know, you design and you make an awesome design you solve an awesome design problem the the design doesn't look at you and go oh man thanks for doing that for me <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't fucking matter but when you do something cool and you can work a job of service uh with people you get a lot more reward back than than just the paycheck and yeah like that that kind of stuff definitely really excites me uh it's stuff like that that uh, fuels my passion and desire to, to do project unchained. Um, and it's just, uh, it's really fulfilling to connect with something that has purpose and meaning behind it. Right. Yep. I agree. I agree. One of the things that I, th- that that popped in my head too when you're talking about like recovery being something that you you kind of have to choose to do 
every day. Um, I think that parallels a lot with some of the stuff that I talk about on the podcast as far as like a healing journey, um, whether it's from something that's uh, incredibly traumatic or, or not, there's, I, I look at it as it's, it's a journey. It's something you have to choose to do every day. And I know for me, when I am rooted in the foundation of my self-care, my daily self-care regimen, and I'm on point with that, my life, everything about and in my life experiences are of a higher quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that that parallels to that, like that choice of recovery, it's the same thing. It's healing. It's, it's choosing to wake up and, and choose yourself and, and choose those things over the suppression. Right. That, that the, the healing journey and the self care, you know, it, I mean, before the whole recovery self care, I was just like, what is that? You know, what, what do you mean self care? Is it the same thing as self worth? Is it completely different or, you know, what is it? But the, you know, my, and I think this was one of the questions that, you had sent me in a message to, um, you know, where do I go for self-care? What do I do for my self-care? Um, I try to make sure I get enough sleep. You know, there's, there's one day a week, at least one day a week where I'm, I'm not doing any work. I'm relaxing at home with unique with the if she comes home. Um, you know, but if I need some self-care right at that point, at that moment and have nothing, to go to music is, is my go-to. Um, I, I could, it calms me down. It throws me, take, I can take my frustration out on the music, turn it up, turn it down. Um, you know, so that's, music has been a huge part of my journey. Gotcha. And, and it's not any specific, genre it's r&b country um you know mom's journey (laughs) the beatles (laughs) and i used to never never you know we're riding in the car and oh beatles are on again (laughs) you know (laughs) so yeah and as kids listening to mom's music was never (laughs) what you wanted (laughs) right right but in those days you, you can't just pull up spotify Right. No, you can't just change it with a click of a button. So, and there's only so many FM channels that get broadcasted out into the country. Yes. (laughs) I think there is one, maybe two. Yeah. (laughs) So obviously then sleep is a big go-to self-care tool for you as well as music. Um, do you have any other, self-care tools that are like your go-tos that fuel you and and keep you in a, in a good level-headed place where you can um, cope with your emotions in a healthy way. I guess I would have to say cleaning, cleaning the house, you know, Um, if, if I get, you know, frustrated enough, or upset enough or, or even sad, you know, any emotion. I mean, I'm, I, I already keep a clean house. Um, 
but I will take my frustrations out on the wall and start washing the walls. Um, I will make sure every sock is in his place. Every bobby pin is in his little place. Maybe a little OCD too, you know, but turning the music on and cleaning, it's, it helps. It sounds like you need to come visit me in Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Do you need your walls washed? (laughs) Oh man, that's definitely, I'm, I, none of us are give a shit about washing the walls. Normally I don't either, but I mean, if, if I'm irritated enough or even it doesn't even, I guess have to be if I'm irritated enough, like before we moved into the new house that we're in, you walk down the stairs and there's a wall there along with all of the dirty handprints that get smeared on the wall. And it's like, you walk downstairs and it's like, gotta wash that wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Jess, um, I want to be mindful of our time here and make sure we get to go spend time with mom and dad. Um, so just wrapping up, um, I, I'm really grateful you're here. I'm really grateful that we've been able to find a better way for us to have a relationship. Me too. I'm really grateful that um, you found the help that you needed and were able to find health and happiness in yourself and now use your experiences to empower other people and get them out onto their healthier journeys. And I appreciate your vulnerability here on the show <laughs> and sharing some of those those dark moments of your life. Um, if uh, anybody listening needs to, wants to connect with you about anything, is that uh, okay? Is there a place they can reach Definitely. you? Um, I'm, I might not always answer right away, um, but, um, you know, Facebook Messenger, um, you know, if you can get a hold of me there, if you have my number, and you need help, please use it. Um, you know, and if they can't get a hold of me and they can get a hold of you and, you know, they can get in contact with me through you too, if you don't mind. So, no, I don't at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm always here and open and willing to listen. You know, if you just, even if, if you don't want no advice and don't want me to say nothing at all, I won't. Just sit here to listen. I'll be here. You've definitely you've definitely grown because that was not always the case. No, 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 <laughs> was not. <laughs> I would never listen. Uh, not to me, anyway. <laughs> All right, Jess. Well, I, again, I thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you. It was an honor. I love you too. A quick note about the Project Unchained podcast. I'm not a doctor nor a therapist. I'm just a driven guy who has seen firsthand what this healing journey can do for the quality of a person's life experiences. The ideas and concepts I share with you are a result of my own ongoing journey and that of my guests. I truly want you to live a more free and empowered life. This is my gift to you. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if the tools you've learned have helped you, please consider leaving a review so that this show ends up higher in search results. 
By doing that, you can help me help others get unchained. If you know someone who specifically would benefit from today's episode, please share it with them directly. If what I'm discussing on the show resonates with you and you'd like to chat, please do reach out. I respond to all messages. You can find me on Instagram at Ross.Lepola, and I'm on Facebook, Ross Lepola. My email is in the show notes. Lastly, I want to give a special thank you to my very talented cousin, Gaitlin Lee, for the intro and outro music for this podcast. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, I hope you live your life a little more unchained. Give yourself away.